I like it when we do songs like that, and everybody claps because it makes me feel like you're clapping for me as I come up, and it inspires me. Stand with me, if you will. Psalms 25, 16 through 21. Psalms 25, 16 through 21. Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. The troubles of my heart have multiplied. Free me from my anguish. Look upon my affliction and my distress and take away all my sins. See how my enemies have increased and how fiercely they hate me. Guard my life and rescue me. Let me not be put to shame, for I take refuge in you. May integrity and uprightness protect me, because my hope is in you. Lord, bless your word today. Use it in our life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I heard a story this last week about a guy that was... um, he was walking across the street to his car, and as he was walking across the street from his car, he got hit by another car and was in the hospital in a coma. And so he's in the coma for several days, and he woke up, and there sat his wife beside him, holding his hand as he was in the coma. And, and, and he looked at his wife and said, Dear, he said, I just have to say, when, when I was in college, I really struggled. And I had trouble getting through the courses and many courses I had to take over and over. And yet, through it all, you were right there by my side. And so, you know, she's beginning to choke up a little bit, this emotional moment. And he said, then I got out of school and, and I couldn't get a job within my field. And, and, and I, I was working minimum wage jobs if I could work at all. And, and I struggled and I struggled. And yet, there you were right by my side. He said, then I finally got the job of my dreams, and, and I'm working this job, and it looks like things are going to turn for the better, and I messed up at work, and I lose the job, and yet there you are, right by my side through it all. And now here I am in this wreck, and I'm in a coma, and once again, I wake up, and you're right by my side all along. And, and dear, I've got to tell you, and of course, by this time, she's emotional, and she's weeping, and he's weeping. And as she leans in, he goes, I just have to tell you, I think you're bad luck. <laughs> you know, life's like that. It, it seems like bad luck can follow us. Uh, I can remember when I was growing up, and, and I knew that Saturday night I wasn't doing anything if I was watching Hee Haw, because uh, Saturday night Hee Haw came on, you, you'd instantly get depressed, and I'm sitting at home watching Hee Haw on Saturday night. Anybody remember Hee Haw? Yeah, there's a lot of lonely people in this sanctuary. <laughs> what about Love Boat? Yeah, a few of you there too. But Hee Haw had Archie... Archie Campbell, I always want to call him Archie Griffin, but that's not the same. Archie Campbell used to sing that song, If It Weren't For Bad Luck, I'd Have No Luck of All. Doom and doom, despair, agony and misery. (laughs) And that kind of is the story of many of our lives. And, And this series that we're going through, this series with regard to Joseph and this feeling of being lost in our circumstances, I I think Joseph resonates and the story of Joseph resonates with most people. It resonates with me. And as I read these stories in the Bible, these people whose, whose life plans don't go according to plan, I think that's most of our stories to, to some extent. Is anybody the luckiest person on earth and never had any trouble for your life? Raise your hands. Okay, nobody can be dismissed then. <laughs> this, this sermon's for us all. You know, Joseph had big plans. 
You know, this big dream. You know, he, he was the favored son and everybody was going to bow down to him. And, you know, even his dad was going to bow down to him. And yet Joseph finds himself not as the leader, not as being bowed down to, but Joseph finds himself sold into slavery. And, 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 and this story of Joseph as he moves from slavery to prison uh, to, to Pharaoh's court, as, as we look at this story, there's one central theme in this story. And the theme is this, God is bigger than my circumstances. And I think it's, let's say, let's say that th- together again. God is bigger than my circumstances. Whatever you're going through, Today, Whatever the circumstances of your life might be, I want you to know that God is bigger than your circumstances. God is bigger than my circumstances. And I think most of us agree in a philosophical, theological, big picture way that God is bigger than our circumstances. I don't think many of us doubt that ideal. And if we were talking about, if I was talking about Steve's circumstances and the issues of life that Steve may be going through. It's very easy for me to say, God is bigger than your circumstances, Steve. The problem is when those circumstances are your own, right? (laughs) When you have to live in the reality that God is bigger than my circumstances. It's kind of like surgery. You know what the definition of minor surgery is? Surgery on somebody else, okay? You know, when you're going through the circumstances of life, when it's personal, when it's not objective but subjective, oftentimes it's very difficult to grab hold of that ideal that God is bigger than my circumstances. And last week, as we began the series, we looked at some just very practical ways that we could focus on God in the midst of difficult times. And over the next three weeks, we're going to talk about how do we live in the midst of difficult circumstances. Now, I wish, I wish I could give you the magic sermon that could move you quicker through difficult. That's the sermon you want, right? How, what do I? What magic prayer do I say, Pastor, that, that to make everything better? You know, what? What? How do I serve? What do I give so that I can move through quicker, folks? I got to tell you, oftentimes there's no magic trick, no magic pill, no magic words that'll move you through the circumstances any quicker. But but there are ways that we live in the midst of the circumstances that allow God to continue to grow our faith and continue to bring him glory. And so over the next three weeks, we'll talk about what, through the life of Joseph, how to move, how to live in the midst of difficult circumstances. And this morning we're going to talk about character. Now, now character is our moral or ethical behavior. This this is our attitudes, you know, how how we relate to other folks, our relationships. Uh, Character involves our finances. Uh, Character involves our work ethic. Character involves all those aspects of our life, our moral behavior, how we live in our society, how we live in our families. And since God is bigger than our circumstances, then our character should be shaped by God and not our circumstances, right? 
You know, know, if God is bigger than circumstances, then then I think God and the people of God, if we're followers of Jesus, if we're trying to be the people of God, it's not our circumstances that determine our character, but God shapes and determines our character. Joseph gives us the example of this in chapter 39, and it's a familiar story. Joseph is, you know, he's the guy with many colored coat and then he's sold into slavery and, and he's sold to who? Who owns him? The first guy. And he yelled out, you in first service. Potiphar. Say, that's a fun word to say. Let's say that together. Potiphar. Isn't that fun? Who's going to name their kid Potiphar? I'm not. Yeah. Dylan's going to name his kid Potiphar. So he's sold to Potiphar, and he's such a good slave. He's such a good servant. He is so committed in in his ethics and his character that he rises to the head of Potiphar's household. There's nothing in the household that he doesn't have control over. The only problem is Joseph must be a good-looking dude, and Potiphar's wife has her eye on Joseph. And she begins to make advances or passes, or for the young, what, what's the word younger kids would use? See, I, I'm going to say hitting on, but that's probably not the right word. What, what's the phrase teenagers use now? They don't have a phrase for it. Yeah, they're all, no, pastor, we don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Potiphar's wife starts flirting with, making passes at Joseph, and Joseph you know, keeps himself pure. And and then eventually she finds herself alone with Joseph and grabs him uh, with bad intent. (laughs) And Joseph runs. You know, there's a a lesson in that just by itself that some of these temptations, folks, that that you're struggling with, you just need to run. You you don't need to get stronger. You need to run. (laughs) You need to find the nearest exit. So Joseph runs and he, he leaves his robe in her hand and it makes her mad. And so she decides to put it to Joseph and she screams out and calls people in and says, hey, this, this Hebrew slave attacked me. And so Joseph goes from the highest ranking slave in his master's household to a prisoner. Simply because Joseph said everything that my, my master had I, had, I had control of, I had access to, and I would not lose my character. I would not lose my integrity because of Potiphar's wife. So what's the point? Joseph's circumstances did not determine his character. He, he maintains his integrity. He refuses his, her investments, honor, and trust are more important to Joseph than anything. You know, it's an interesting thing in this. You know, and and this is just kind of a side note. Oftentimes in our stories, (laughs) things don't always get better immediately. Uh, Terry's mom and dad watch the Hallmark Channel. And, uh, you know, so I'll go in and watch them. And Jim always says this to me. He goes, we'll know we're at the end of the movie because they'll kiss Okay, you know, the stories are so familiar. As a matter of fact, the, the stories are so familiar. I, I was at their house, I don't know, uh, three months ago and watched this movie with them that was one of those awful, great Hallmark movies, whatever your point of view is. 
And then I went two weeks later and they watched the same movie and they didn't even know it was the same movie. Life's not like a Hallmark movie. Amen? You know, we don't just kiss and everything gets better. Oftentimes, there's twists and turns and things many times get worse before they get better. And you see this in the life of Joseph. Yet he maintained his integrity and his character. So so how do we apply this? All of us have circumstances um, that, that challenge our character. And last week I kind of shared with you that, that you know, Terry and I are kind of living this. You know, the, the last year's been a challenge. And, 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 you know, we shared on Easter, hey, you know, there's a closing. Well, guess what? Potiphar's wife has invaded our life. <laughs> you, you know, I, I'm an intensely private guy. I, I, don't, I don't like sharing like this. I think God gets a big hoot out of, of me being a pastor because as part of a pastor, I think we have to be a little bit transparent, right? <laughs> you don't want me cloaked. You don't want me to be the guy behind the, like what, the Wizard of Oz, you know, pay no attention to the man behind the shield, you know? Uh, I want you to know this is real to us. And, and, and just like I said, oftentimes circumstances don't always go according to plans. And even when you think you've got things all worked out, sometimes it doesn't work out like you want it to work out. And that's when everyone should say, so we're living this. And oftentimes when we think we're through the worst of the circumstances, we've been sold into slavery, that's when Potiphar's wife shows up and she makes things worse. So how do we live in the midst of, of these circumstances. I would say this. I have thought, since, since it seems like everything I preach, it's like God's pulling me through these things. I think I'm going to find that story in the Bible where everything's smooth selling for a while, right? But I can't find one. <laughs> you know, life's difficult at times. And, and, and sometimes our circumstances are not what we want. And I want you to know that Terry and I, our character will not be shaped by our housing circumstance. I want you to know that my integrity as your pastor will not be shaped, will not be marred because of a few dollars and a house. My circumstances will not affect my call or my character, but our trust is in God. We have authority over our character and our integrity. You know, you can't control most things in life. You can't control the lives of your kids. You know, I've got a 13-year-old, an 18-year-old, and 21-year-old. I wish somebody had told me that before we had any kids because I don't know if we'd have had any of them because I can't control them at all. They just do what they want. Particularly the 21-year-old. You would think he thinks he's an adult or something. And now Dylan's telling me he's an adult just because he's 18. Go get a job. (laughs) You can't control your kids. You can't control the lives of your grandkids. You can't control your spouse. You you can't control their life. You cannot completely control your finances. You cannot completely control your job circumstance. You cannot completely control your health situation, right? 
Anybody remember the guy that started the, the kick on jogging in the 70s? I think his name was Jim Fix. Am I right? Does anybody remember? He wrote the book called Running, and, and he, he, it wasn't Forrest Gump. It was this guy. And he started this running thing, and he wrote a book on it. You know what he died of? A heart attack running. You know, we, we, have, we, we can do the things with our budget. We can budget, and we can save, and we can, we, we can be careful with our money. But financial distress can still touch you, and job loss can still hit you. You can eat right, you can exercise. It's still possible that, that, that you could have physical concerns. We cannot completely control our circumstances. But my integrity, your integrity, is not determined by our circumstances. Joseph understood this. And in the midst of difficult circumstances, he didn't, he didn't give in. He, he didn't, didn't let go of his integrity, but he maintained his integrity and his character. Last week, we touched on 1 Peter and we use the, the beginning passage, and he's writing to these aliens and strangers who are scattered abroad. And, 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 and he's talk, you know, Peter's talking to people that Messiah has come, and everything should be okay, and everything should be good, and yet they're scattered all over the world. And not only are they scattered, but they're being persecuted. And you're thinking, well, you know, everything should be hunky-dory now, and everything should be great now, but here we are scattered and persecuted. In verse 13 of chapter 1, Peter begins to say this, Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy, because I am holy. Be holy, <laughs> Like I am holy. Be holy like God is holy. And I'm aware, you know, we, we could do a series, and, and we probably will at some point, on holiness. There's many definitions, many, many angles, and many ways we can look at holiness. What it means to be holy. The central of the ideal of holiness is this. To be holy is to be set apart to God and away from sin. That this means that God, not my circumstances, not my environment, determine the way I behave. God determines my attitude, my, my relationship with others, how I will spend my money, what I will do in my free time. To, to be holy like God is holy is to set yourself apart from your circumstances and your world and focus and be in tune and have integrity with your relationship with him. Holy people submit their character to God. Now I know this is a, this is a big word and, and holiness can become that otherworldly, theological, philosophical world word. And it can be, be so otherworldly that it makes no difference in our real life world. So sometimes I've seen holiness applied purely in an ethical way. And, and, and holiness becomes do's and don'ts. It becomes legalistic. 
Holiness is about a certain hairstyle and, and a certain way of dress and, and a certain way of, uh, of appearing and, and this do, what you do and what you don't. And I want you to know that when it becomes that, it becomes less than what God intends as well. See, holiness is to be set apart and set on fire from God and saying, God, what you want in my life is what I want. And I want your Holy Spirit supernaturally to begin this work at, at me where you transform me in, from the inside out. You transform my character and my actions and my behavior set apart to God. See, holiness affects how I respond to my circumstances. If we are holy people, we will respond differently to our circumstances than others will because holiness affects us. So practically, what what does that mean? My attitude cannot be determined by my circumstances. I'm beginning with the tough one. <laughs> you know, attitude in the church, uh, we can have bad attitudes in the church. Amen? Now, I'm not giving you permission. I'm not saying you can have angry, or more particularly, staying angry. <laughs> you know, anger is not the issue. A- anger is a natural, emotional response. And when boundaries are violated or when there is danger, anger is that emotion within us that moves us to action. So so somebody attacks my wife or my kids. I'm not sitting when there's an anger wells up that moves me to protection. Does that make any sense? Thanks, Mara. She's angry just like I'm angry. It's the staying angry that's the problem, okay? Let me give you a silly example. Somebody cuts you off in traffic. I cut you off in traffic. If it's a big green explorer, it was me, sorry. Somebody cuts you off in traffic. There is a natural protective emotion that wells up that feels a lot like anger. (laughs) You know, unfortunately, I, I, I... you know, to, to, to honk my horn, I have to stay angry too long because I never can find my horn on my, my steering column anymore. They moved it so much. You know, that, to have that emotion there is probably natural. But if you follow them two hours till they get home so you can yell at them in their driveway, that's staying angry, okay? Some of you have had experiences in your past that made you angry and you're still mad. You're still seething. You're still looking for that opportunity for revenge. The the, the circumstance, you know, maybe it naturally created a a real reason for anger. But you're dwelling there. Holy people. People whose character are set apart for God do not dwell in anger. What about bitterness? Bitterness. As your pastor, and and folks, I got to tell you, I've said this before, there's two major sins I see in the church. With younger people, it tends to be cynicism. With older people, oftentimes it's bitterness. It's a sin. 
And, and I'll tell you this in love, if you're dwelling in bitterness, you're dwelling somewhere where God does not want you to dwell. And it is not the attitude of a holy person. You know, I see young people that are cynical about everything. They don't trust anybody. I don't believe that's an attitude that, that behooves us as holy people as well. Where everything's a joke, where nothing makes sense, where you can't trust anybody. God's calling us to an attitude that's set apart from our circumstances and bitterness and cynicism doesn't fit into God's holy character. Jealousy. It happens, doesn't it? Uh, don't leave me up here by myself. <laughs> it happens to us all. When God moves in somebody else's circumstances, but not your circumstances, the, the, the instant response is oftentimes, well, why them? Jealousy is not the attitude of a holy person. My relationships with others cannot be determined by my circumstances. Why is it we're a lot ruder to our family than anybody else? Why is it that somebody can tick you off at work and you still treat them like your, your best friend, but your kid smell, smells? <laughs> Sorry, Dylan, I've been meaning to talk to you. <laughs> Spills a cup of milk and you go off like it's the end of the world. Not, not because of the milk, but because of what happened at work. You know, you know, how, how can we sit at our table with our family and, and get all bent out of shape over stupid stuff and, and in the restaurant we'll treat everybody like they're wonderful? See, what happens in circumstances is many times the people that bear the brunt of the bad relationship is the ones closest to you. And, and I got to tell you, I, I, I truly believe this. I believe God is wanting us to have families that are set apart, are holy. That in the midst of difficult circumstances, there's a grace and a love that just can't be explained. You know, sometimes we have a tendency in bad circumstances just to withdraw. I'm like that. Um, I don't want to see any of you when I'm going through bad day, right? Am I the only one? You guys are leaving me on an island today, Yeah. You know, when things are going really bad, we have this tendency to withdraw and, and just kind of be by ourselves and, and kind of dwell. Isn't it fun every once in a while just to dwell on it? Now, now women, and I'm married to a woman, so I know this, they like to just get away and cry. Yeah, any ladies like to do that? You know, what's wrong, dear? You know, you try to put them out like they're a fire or something. But, you know, I just like to sit every once in a while. And, and, and this isn't right. I'm not... I'm not and stew, and ruminate, you know, we, we call it meditating, but you're sometimes it's by forming inappropriate relationships, and this is a warning, maybe, maybe you're in one of those circumstances where things are going bad at home or elsewhere, and you've withdrawn at home, and, and you're in a relationship, a friendship relationship with somebody of the opposite sex at your workplace, and you're going down the wrong road. Um, it happens, doesn't it? How often do we hear of circumstances where, where, where the relationship began because of hardship or, or some sort of circumstance that, that, that just isn't what the person wants? 
without focusing on only on the circumstance to the neglect of loving others. When I practiced law, I saw an interesting thing that happened, and I, and I see it in the life of many people. In the midst of a case, that becomes life. And nothing else mattered. And when the case was done, guess what? They were still calling our office about things, even though the case had been settled or was done years ago, because that had become the center of your life. Your circumstances are not the center of your life. God intends to be the center of your life. And see, when God is the center of our lives, then we can move through circumstances. When the circumstances are past, they're past. My financial integrity cannot be determined by my circumstances. I probably should have preached this sermon on uh, the Sunday before the IRS uh, got our taxes. I'm going to say something, and you don't have to say amen. I don't want you to say amen. And you can disagree with me in your heart. Just don't tell me. <laughs> I believe holy people submit holy tax returns. I think there's an integrity to our finances. And just because it's the government doesn't mean that we can cut corners and be dishonest and lie and be less than people of full integrity. Holy people have an integrity to their finances. And there's a temptation to cut corners. And oftentimes you see it with regard to tithe and giving to others and generosity. And when things are tight, the things that form our character are the things that go first. We find a creative deduction or we find another way or find another thing to, to not pay. And I think God wants our circumstances not to control our finances or worse. We've all heard stories, and I, I'm thinking of one right in my mind right now that's just for a few dollars. Somebody wrecked their integrity by taking money that didn't belong to them with the idea, well, we'll pay it back. And, and folks, it, it's possible that you're struggling with that temptation, and, and, and I want you to know that it's not worth it. I mean, how, how often have I heard, you know, you know $500, $800, $1,200, um, you know, money's not that right. Money's not that important, right? You guys understand that. You know, money allows us to buy things, but it's not the end all. And, and we view sometimes, and I mean, I guess it depends on your circumstances. But but sometimes we we view five hundred dollars or even fifty thousand dollars like it's the end of the world. It's not. And we've seen I've seen people wreck their integrity and their reputation and their character and their family. For just a few dollars, circumstances cannot determine my financial integrity. So, so how can I submit my character to God in this circumstance? That, that's the question. Whatever you're going through, how do I submit my integrity? Instead of the, all the wrong things, let's look at some positive things we could do. Be, find a reason to be thankful. Carve out a time. Make a list. Remember the mountaintops. You've ever had a mountaintop experience with God? I'll, I'll share one with you, okay? Um, I, I can't remember what year it was. All three of the boys were there. We were big stop, and Terry and I was there. And, you know, we're in the midst of this conference, and, you know, they're rocking the joint. You know, it's Andy Stanley's organization, you know, and they're playing. It's loud. It's, the kids like it, and I like it, and it was good. And I look over, and there's Wyatt both hands up. 
Then I look a little further over, and there's Dylan. Both hands up. I look a little further over, and there's Spencer. Both hands up. And God said, look. Remember when you were in a Toyota Corolla? And you said, God, I can't do this. And I said, I can. See what I've done? Remember when you left your practice and you started preaching and everybody called you an idiot? (laughs) That's not a holy word, is it? What dingbat is the more spiritual word? (laughs) See what I've done. Remember when you left Tri-County and you went to Trenton and you were worried about your boys and you were wondering what was going to happen in their life and how this change was going to affect them? Look what I've done. Can I tell you honestly? I can't say that I've had a lot of mountaintops here yet. It's not been bad. I'm not, don't, don't mishear me that you know, I, we're miserable. We're not. We believe we're supposed to be here. But, but I can't say that I've had those mountaintop moments like I've had in the past where I look back how far I've come and I realized what God's done in my life yet here. But you know what? There's coming a day where I'm going to stand on a mountaintop here and God's going to say, you remember when you left Trenton and you went to Marysville? See what I've done. Find a reason to be thankful. See, the the truth of it is, it's easy to complain, right? (laughs) Yes, it is. It's a lot easier to complain than to be thankful. The the Green family has a kind of cool rule. And the rule is, if you say something mean to one of your siblings, you got to say five nice things to them back, okay? That's kind of an incentive not to say a mean thing to them because then you got to say the five. You know, I would suggest that when you're struggling with your circumstances and you want to complain to God, it's okay to complain to God, but can you find five reasons to be thankful in the midst of it? That maybe say, God, I'm not real thrilled with this circumstance, because there's circumstances we're not thrilled with, right? Amen? But here's five that I'm thankful for. Find a way to be thankful. Find a reason. Find ways to practically love your family by serving them in unexpected ways. Husbands, if you're not supposed to cook dinner, go home and cook dinner. Wives, Terry, if you're not supposed to mow the lawn, can you go and mow it for me this afternoon? You know, find a way to serve your family. And like we've talked about, oftentimes our family gets the brunt of our circumstances at work or elsewhere. Find a way to serve them. You know, I work, or Steve works with Spencer, some basketball, and, and uh, Spencer always says, I never, they, they play a game, him and Logan play a game, and I have to ref, and Spencer says, I never give him any calls, right? And I don't. So next week, I'll give you a bunch of calls, Spencer. That'll be my nice thing for you. Find a way to serve your family. Find a way to give to someone else. See, what happens in circumstances that go awry when things don't go according to plan is oftentimes we become self-centered. It becomes all about us. And so to, to serve or give to someone else forces us out of our pity party, forces us out of our comfort zone into an area where we're extending ourselves instead of grabbing hold and pulling to ourselves. Find a way to give to someone else. 
Stand with me, if you will. We're going to read scripture to close. Amy, come and play if you don't care. I, I don't know. I, I've just felt all day, or this entire service, that there may be somebody that just needs to come and pray. And, and I don't think it has anything to do with the message. I don't. I, I just think the Holy Spirit's dealing with someone or some people, and, and they just need to find a space just to meet with God for a few minutes before we close. It, it's five till. I, I'm not going to delay but, but before we close, I, all heads bowed, all eyes closed. If you'd like to come and just meet with God in an altar, I, I'd encourage you to come quickly. And then I'm going to close this with prayer and scripture. I'll read some scripture to you. And I believe this is God's call to us today. This is Paul writing to the Ephesians. And so I insist, and God backs me up on this, that there'll be no going along with the crowd, the empty-headed, mindless crowd. They've refused for so long to deal with God that they've lost touch not only with God but with reality itself. They can't think straight anymore. Feeling no pain, they let themselves go in sexual obsession, addicted to every kind of sort of perversion. But that's no life for you. You learned Christ. My assumption is that you've paid careful attention to him, been well instructed in the truth precisely as to have it in Jesus. Since then, we don't have the excuse of ignorance. Everything, and I mean everything, connected with that old way of life has to go. It's rotten through and through. Get rid of it. And then take on an entirely new way of life, a God-fashioned life, a life renewed from the inside and working itself into your conduct as God accurately reproduces his character in you. What this adds up to then is this, no more lies, no more pretense. Tell your neighbor the truth. In Christ's body, we're all connected to each other. After all, when you lie to others, you end up lying to yourselves. Go ahead and be angry. You do well to be angry, but don't use your anger as fuel for revenge. Don't stay angry. Don't go to bed angry. Don't give the devil the kind of foothold in your life. Did you use to make ends neat by stealing? Well, no more. Get an honest job so that you can help others who can't work. Watch the way you talk. Let nothing foul or dirty come out of your mouth. Say only what helps. Each word is a gift. Don't grieve God. Don't break his heart. His Holy Spirit moving and breathing in you is the most intimate part of your life, making you fit for himself. Don't take such a gift for granted. Make a clean break with all cutting, backbiting, profane talk. Be gentle with one another, sensitive. Forgive one another as quickly and thoroughly as God in Christ forgave you. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, I'm I'm deeply aware as I stand before this congregation right now that we need you. Nothing else will matter. Nothing else will change. Nothing else can bring transformation. In fact, Lord, sometimes uh, as we look at the circumstances we face, we realize that without you, we're not even going to make it. So, Lord, we lift our hands to you. And we say, come, Lord Jesus. Come in a fresh way in our midst. 
Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Anoint us fresh and anew. May, may we not be so holy that we can't stand another touch from your Holy Spirit. Fill us, Lord. Cleanse us. Lead us. Guide us. Set us apart to something better. And help us to have attitudes and relationships and integrity that brings honor to your name. Lord, I love you. I'm thankful for each fresh work in my life. I'm thankful, Lord, that my relationship with you is not past tense. It's not based just on a a trip to an altar, but Lord, it's living and breathing. Your word is alive within me, changing me. And this doesn't mean that everything's all smooth selling. In fact, it's not. Lord, I find myself more and more submitted to you. But as Paul says, I've not arrived yet. But I'm striving more and more to be the man, to be the husband, to be the pastor, to be the father, to be the friend, to be the follower of Jesus that you've called me to be. So Lord, help us to learn from Joseph, a man whose integrity could have been lessened, whose character could have been harmed. And Lord, I believe in allowing his character to be diminished. He'd have lost the power of your plan in his life. That end story where he stands before his brothers and he says, you meant it for bad, but God used it for good. So Lord, at the end of our journeys, may we all be able to stand in your presence and say those things. The circumstances were bad, but our God used them for good. Now, Lord, I give you praise. I give you thanks. As we go from this place, may we always be aware that we're not leaving your presence. But as we go, you go. And your Holy Spirit indwells us. And we go as ambassadors with an opportunity to bring glory to you wherever we find ourselves. Enlighten us. Enliven us. And keep us close to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.